Listen to this from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that, it, that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on, on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word is true and that we can bank our entire lives on it. Would you help us today to get into the story, to understand what's going on in this guy, Abram, what you're doing, what you're teaching us through his life, what you're helping us to see about our own lives and help us, what you're helping us to see about the world in which we live. And Holy Spirit, we always, we always ask, bring us to Jesus. Help us to experience Jesus afresh. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make Jesus irresistible to us in brand new ways and that we would find him trustworthy, eternally trustworthy. We pray this, that you, God, might get all glory, that you might get all glory, that our boast would only be in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We remember our little catchphrase in order to understand the life of Abraham. Remember this? Hopefully it's getting down in you a little bit. We're going to do the same thing that we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to look at the story and then we're going to do takeaways. But don't forget about this little phrase. Don't forget about our little tagline. Leaving behind, letting go, and traveling light. You want to know what it means to walk with God? Let go, leave behind, 
and travel light. Abram is learning this his whole life. Remember this section in Genesis chapter 12 through 25 gives us 175 years of Abraham's life in those short little chapters. We started with Abram when he was about 75 in chapter 12. We're continuing on. We just have a few stories of his long life. So let's jump into this story. Look how it starts. God comes to Abram again and says to Abram, Abram, I am your shield. I am your reward. Do not fear. Wouldn't it be amazing? And isn't it amazing that God tells us the same thing? I'm your shield. I'm the one that protects you. I'm the one that watches over you. And I'm the one that's your great reward. I'm it. God's saying, I am where you will find your joy. I am where you will find all that you need. I am your reward, Abram. It's not your possessions. It's not your family. It's not your education. It's not your titles. Your reward is me. I am everything for you, Abram. Everything for you, Dave. Everything for you, Christ Press. God tells Abram, I'm it. Don't be afraid. Now you might wonder, well, what in the world does Abram have to be afraid of? Well, here are some guesses. I know it's not less than what I'm about to tell you, but it could be more. Maybe Abram was afraid of revenge. Um, in chapter 14, there is a story of Abram actually going to war because other peoples were making war with Abram and his family, and he had to go get some family members. And so maybe he was afraid because he thought that those kings were going to come back and find Abram and hunt him down. Maybe he was afraid of that. I don't know. Maybe, since now in Genesis chapter 15, he's roughly in his mid-80s, God made a promise to him in his mid-70s, and it's been 10 years and the promise that God made to Abraham has no visible picture. It's not there yet. And maybe Abram's afraid. It's been 10 years and nothing has happened yet. I've done what God said. He told me to go and I did, but I still don't have a son. Maybe he was afraid that he was getting too old to see all these promises of God come true. I really don't know for sure, but I know that he was afraid. And those two reasons make perfect sense as to why he could be afraid. And it, make, and it fits perfectly with God saying to Abram, I'm your shield, Abram. I'm your reward. I'm everything for you. Maybe some of you need to hear that today like I do. I don't know that I can hear enough that God's my shield and my reward. Well, Abram responds to that with two questions. If you look at verse 4 and verse 8, you got the questions. God comes to Abraham and says those amazing words, and Abram says, well, God, verse 4, what, what are you going to do? And in verse 8, how do I know? How do I know you're going to do this? Well, let's think about that first question. God, what are you going to do? You ever find yourself asking that to God? What are you going to do? Well, this is what God does. Abram says, what are you going to do? And God comes to Abram and says, Abram, get up out of your tent. Get up. So Abram gets up, walks through the flaps of his tent, if you can put yourself there, comes out, to the, out beyond the tent, looks up, and God says, look at the sky, Abram. 
Look at the starlit sky. Look at it. Can you number all those? Look up at the sky, Abram. Abraham looks up and God says, if you can count all the stars, Abram, that's how many descendants you're going to have. If you can count all those stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. I told you you're going to have a son, and through that, you're going to have a multitude of descendants. Well, Abraham heard that. Abraham thought about that. If you look at verse 6, you have what Abraham's response was. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. It doesn't say he believed in God, although that's true. It says he believed God. God was his reward and God was his shield and God, he believed him. He trusted him, even though it would be a long time before the promise that God originally made to Abraham would start to come true. He believed God. Now, we gotta parse this verse a little bit. We gotta dive into it a little bit more. You do realize that verse six, if you go back and read it and read it carefully, that verse six is kind of inserted in there by the author. It's like a commentary on what's been happening. God comes to Abraham and says, look at the stars, look at the sky, look at everything. You're gonna have that many descendants. And the, and the, and the author of, of, of Genesis, Moses said and inserts this comment, Abraham believed. And actually, it's not that Abraham started to believe. If you look a little closer at the text, what you'll find is it's actually saying Abraham remained firm. That's why it says, and Abraham believed, or literally, and Abraham remained firm. He didn't waver. He was listening to God. He'd been listening to God, and he could question God, and he continued to believe. Abram received from God and continued to lean with all that he was on God. Does that mean that Abram was perfect? Uh, no. Does that mean that Abram never disbelieved? No. We find times, remember them when he went down to Egypt that he told his wife to lie. Remember that? Abraham's no perfect person. Abraham has all kinds of shortcomings and weaknesses, but he continued to believe God. And God reckoned Abram righteous. He considered Abram righteous. And by the way, you only reckon someone something if they didn't have it before. God considered Abram righteous. God gifted Abram with righteousness. He gifted Abram with the title of being a righteous person. It was a gift. It was not something that Abraham achieved. It was something that Abram received. To believe God and to bank your life on God, God looks upon that and says, now that is a righteous person. That they are looking away from themselves and believing what I say about who they are and the world. And Abraham remained firm. He continued to trust in God. And God looked at Abram as a righteous person. Not because of his moral record. That was sketchy. 
He considered Abram righteous because Abram, at his core, received the gift from God. And he wasn't trying to achieve something for God. He was receiving what God said to him. He believed. Many of you know that before I came to the church here, I was a campus minister with our denominational um, campus ministry, RUF, Reform University Fellowship. And one of my friends was the campus minister uh, at the University of Florida. And he went to the University of Florida during a time where there was, it was really difficult. Um, there was a lot of fighting going on with the churches around Gainesville. Um, the, something had happened with the previous campus minister and, and the group was just, it was just a wreck. And he went to campus and the churches, some of them didn't like him and they stopped supporting him, which means when you're on campus and you're raising support and people don't like you because of whatever it is, you know, you have to raise money, but people aren't necessarily giving you money. So not only are you trying to love students on campus, but you got this responsibility of trying to raise money to do what you've been called to do. So the area coordinator came to visit this campus minister and he walked with him all over campus and talked to him about what's going on in the churches and prayed with him and encouraged him. And he got back to the campus minister's house and they were walking through the garage. And the area coordinator recognized that, that the campus minister had been on campus, you know, more than a year. Things were really, really hard. And wherever he had moved from, he had all his moving boxes folded up and in the corner and surrounding the inside of the garage. And the, campus, and the area coordinator said to the campus minister, Cliff, do you believe in God? Cliff was like, well, of course I do. And he said, well, throw away those darn boxes. That was a turning point in his life because he knew afresh that he wasn't in control. He was doing a good job. He was loving students. He was visiting churches and developing relationships. So, do you believe in God? Yeah. Then act like it. Abraham believed God. And he kept going through the ups and downs of his life. He just kept going. Well, that brings us to the second question. Where Abraham says to God in verse 8, how do I know? How, how are you going to do this? Lord, how, how am I to know this? What, how do I know? And this is what God says. Comes to Abram again. He says, all right, Abram, what I want you to do is bring me some animals. And notice that Abram knows exactly what to do. He cuts the animals in pieces. God doesn't have to tell Abram what to do. Abraham knows exactly what to do when God says, get the animals. You remember, in the ancient world, the far ancient world, this was a ceremony. This was a way that people uh, ratified a relationship. They weren't sophisticated in the way that we are with having contracts where you sign something. It wasn't that way. This was a ceremony in which when two people were committing to each other, they would act out the consequences if one of them was unfaithful to the commitment. And so what happened is Abram gets these animals and he cuts them in half. And he places half the animal on the left, the other half of the carcass on the right, and that leaves an aisle in the middle. 
He cuts up the animals and leaves it there as if to say, hey, if one of us is unfaithful in this, may we be ripped to shreds. May we be cut up. May what happened to these animals happen to me if I am not faithful in my commitment to you. Now, notice what the text says as well, verse nine and following. Here you have Abram putting the pieces out, and then what does he do? He waits. God didn't say do anything else. Abram knows what to do with the animals, and then he's just waiting. And it's at the point where things are starting to get dark. It's starting to be the end of the day. The sun is going down, darkness is there, and Abram falls asleep. And the text even tells us that darkness comes on Abram. God is communicating something profound with that language. God is reminding us of what it's like to be in his presence. I know that sounds weird because you're associating darkness with God, but here it is. It's heaviness. It's knowing that something profound is happening and there's a sense in which we feel this in a way, this sense of being overwhelmed and not knowing what is going to happen next. You ever been there? This is not Abraham feeling overwhelmed like, uh, or nervous about what will happen um, as if he were going to a haunted house and he's nervous about who's gonna pop out from the wall or, or a closet or come from behind. That's not what we're talking about. To make this super personal, this is that nervousness and that ominous feeling when you're sitting in the surgery bay and you're waiting to get wheeled into the operating room. It's that. It's that sense of kind of dread because I don't know what's going on, but something's going to happen. That's what Abram was feeling. The sense of being overwhelmed by not knowing what would happen. And God speaks to Abram. And this is what he tells him. Abram. I will do what I told you I'm gonna do. It's gonna be 400 years, but you're gonna have descendants and they're gonna to go to Egypt and they're gonna be locked up for a while, but I'm gonna free them. And then they're gonna come back to this land and everything I've told you is gonna come true. And you, you're gonna be dead by that point, Abram. You're gonna go peacefully to your fathers. You are gonna die an old man. Let me tell you, that sounds great to me. Abram, you are going to rest with me. You're coming to see me, Abram. God speaks to him and tells him what's going on for the next 400 years. Isn't that amazing to think about? And all of it comes true. Then, as this darkness is there, God's presence appears. That smoking fire or that smoking pot and that, that fire thing. Just think of it this way. And I'm sure there are probably a zillion other examples, but this is the best thing I could come up with. Imagine yourself in that position where there's darkness, meaning you feel the weight of what is going on or what might happen, and you're not exactly sure what that's going to be. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of this darkness and, and heaviness, a lightsaber appears. And you hear the hum, and you know something is there, and you hear the crackle, and you know that something is going on. 
And this light is present with you. And you can tell how dark things are. And you can tell that there's fog because of that light. It's the same description of God that we have in Exodus 20 at Sinai. The cloud, the pillar of fire. It's the same thing. It is the presence of God himself. And beloved, as loving as God is, as much as love is the core of his being, he is infinitely holy. And for us to be in the presence of God is absolutely overwhelming. That were it not for Jesus, we would want to be dead in God's presence because of how amazing he is. And we would be in his presence as we are without Jesus and know that we do not belong there. We would feel ourselves to be so weak and so exposed if it weren't for Jesus. We would wish that we were dead if we were in God's presence because he's that amazing. He's that pure. He's that loving, that infinite, that holy, and we're not. Well, that leads us right to the takeaways. Remember, I want you to have in your mind thinking about these things every week, right? What is faith? What is my faith? And who is God for me? Who is God for me? Well, here's takeaway number one. No surprise, I hope. This story ain't about Abraham. This story is about God. This whole thing is about God. God is the most important character in this story. This has nothing to do with us being like Abraham, wanting to be better, wanting to be you know, nicer, uh, wanting to be more like Father Abraham. It has nothing to do with that. This is a story about God. The whole Bible is about God. And look at what happens in this story. Look at what happens. If you can put yourself there back as if you're Abram, back as if you are in the presence of this humming sound, this light that is, that is amazing. Look at what happens. Remember how I told you the ceremony is where you act out what would happen, the consequence if we were unfaithful to the relationship and the commitment, remember that? Well, in the ancient, ancient world, what happened is, is the parties would walk through the aisle. Animal on one side, animal on the other side, aisle. God and Abram walk through the aisle together to say, we are committed to each other, and if we are unfaithful, then let us be like the animals. But what happens here? Does Abram walk through? He's down on the floor. He's in awe. He is overwhelmed with God. And what does God do? He walks through the aisle alone. God alone walks through the aisle. You know what he's saying? Abram, I'm not only going to keep my side of the commitment, I'm going to keep yours. Abram, there's no way that you can do what you're supposed to do. You've already proven that from your birth. But I will do what you are supposed to do. 
I will keep this relationship. I will endure the consequences of all of your unfaithfulness. I will absorb everything that comes from your rebellion. I'll do it, Abram. Beloved, that's grace. You know that thick darkness that we see here? There was another time in history when darkness came upon the earth. It was about noon. And there was a man who was hanging on a cross. And it was there that Jesus was ripped apart and torn because he was willing to act out what is pictured for us here in Genesis 15. That Jesus was willing to be torn apart Enduring all the consequences for all of our unfaithfulness, every single thing. The wandering thought, the harsh word not spoken, everything, every rebellion, everything that we have done against God, Jesus walks through. Jesus ripped apart for people like me and you. I can try to press this on you, I don't know of any other analogy that I could come up with other than this. I want you to imagine another ceremony that most of us have been to, a wedding. I want you to imagine being at a wedding and you get to the time in the ceremony in which vows are to be taken. And at this ceremony, the groom steps forward and says, I am going to take all of the vows. I am going to love you unconditionally. I am going to absorb all the consequences for all of our unfaithfulness. I will do it myself. And the bride, being overwhelmed with that type of commitment, gladly surrenders all that she is to this man who's willing to do everything for her. So she becomes loyal, she becomes faithful. She desires to live life with this companion. By the way, this analogy is not a male versus female thing. This is not a power thing, has nothing to do with that. I'm trying to get in your mind, what would you do if you were at a wedding ceremony and you saw that kind of commitment? How in the world would you not say, take all of me, all of me? It's exactly what Jesus is doing. He has done everything for his bride, the church. He has done everything for her, everything. And in response to that, we entrust all that we are to him. And we follow him. And we obey him. And we love him. And we grow in our relationship with him because we have nowhere else to go. Where else could we go that could be even better? Beloved, that's what it means to believe the gospel and to give your life to Jesus because you realize he's given his life for you and he's done everything for you and me. And our response to that is to follow him. Well, that means that all these questions that Abraham's asking in verse four and verse eight, Beloved, they're not illustrating that Abram was wavering in his faith. They're showing you that Abram believed. These questions that 
Abram asked God, it's not, it's not showing you that there's something, it's not showing that there's something wrong with Abram. It's, it's showing us how much he trusted God. Maybe some of you grew up in a context in which asking questions wasn't really allowed. Maybe, maybe you were explicitly told, don't question God. I, I don't know. I know a lot of people have grown up in church contexts in which don't ask any questions. Don't question God. You can question God. You can ask him anything you want. Abram had, add this to the equation, add this to your understanding of this story. Abram, when he went in Egypt, when he told Sarah to lie, you remember that? What did Pharaoh do? Blessed Abram, made him rich. And I don't mean rich, I mean rich, rich. Abram was rich. He had all kinds of possessions. He didn't, he didn't need anything financially. Then, then he just had this big battle in chapter 14. He defeated enemies and got Lot back to some extent. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't working an angle with God. His, his possessions and his, and his wealth and his, and his victories didn't compare to the plan that God had. He was asking God to make good on his promises because nothing else mattered to Abram. He didn't care if he kept or lost all of his riches. It didn't matter to him if he won or lost the war. He wants to see God's mission extend in the world. God, you said that you're gonna change the world. God, you said you're gonna do this in the world. I wanna see it. How are you gonna do this, Lord? Are you still gonna do what you said? Abram believed God. That's why he asked God to continue to work. Abram trusted God. That's why he said, how about now, God? Is it gonna happen now? Because he knew that he needed to be changed. He knew that God was gonna change the whole world. And that's what he wanted. Abram wanted God's mission to continue in the world. Do you? Or how often times do we take shortcuts and think, well, if I follow God, then I'll get and acquire the wealth, the prosperity that I want. Or if I do this right for God, then, then I'm going to be more on the victorious side than on the losing side. Or if I do what God says and my family is going to stay intact and this and this and this and this. How many times do we short circuit all these things that God's told us? Because we don't really want God. We're not really interested in his mission. We're interested in ours. And we want God to fulfill our mission and fulfill what we want. Abram is begging God to expand his kingdom and to change the world. Do you want that too? Will it change the way that you love your family? Will it change the way you prioritize your job? Will it change the way that you think about your money? God's mission first and how that affects everything else about you, your wins and your losses. You see, faith, faith is the marrying of the invisible with the visible. We have to live marrying what God says with what we see. And bringing those two together is faith. 
Faith is not imposing our will on God. Faith is not imposing our will on other people. Faith is not imposing our will on the world. Faith is not organizing the world in the way that we want it to be organized. Faith is learning to embrace what you have been given. Faith is learning to embrace what is. And how that works itself out is that when we interact with people and when we meet people and when we live by faith, we ask questions, we observe, we watch We listen until we see God at work, till we perceive what he is doing. And then we hold loosely to that because he's doing so much more than what we can possibly see. Faith is not imposing our will on people. It's learning to embrace what is. It's learning to watch and listen and wait. Faith is not getting and keeping. Getting and keeping are being replaced with living a life of receiving. All is gift. Faith is not chasing something in your life. Faith And living by faith is realizing that you are being pursued. That God is pursuing you in everything that you're called upon to embrace. That God's pursuing you in every question that you have. Everything that you listen to. Everything that you perceive. God is pursuing you. And he does that all of your days through Jesus with goodness and mercy.